This event was recorded live at the 2011 Edinburgh International Book Festival. And Richard Bath. Very warm welcome to you, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very special event, which uh, we're here to honour uh, the public, not the publication, but the uh, well, yes, the publication of Behind Enemy Lines, the autobiography of Britain's most decorated living war hero, Sir Tommy McPherson. Sadly, Sir Tommy suffered a stroke. As I was saying, sadly, Sir Tommy suffered a stroke, I believe, in April this year. So, although he's very much with us in his considerable presence, he won't be doing any talking. He'll leaving up, us to, up to Richard and myself so to do. So tell me, Richard, how did you get involved in this fascinating project? Um, well, actually, it began in, um, in the last, bizarrely, in the last Rugby World Cup, um, when I, uh, I was invited along to a, a game in, in southern France. I happened to be down doing some work. Uh, and I was invited along to a, a game by some friends who had some corporate hospitality. And I found myself sitting next to a rather dapper um, gent who seemed to know uh, a vast amount about virtually everything, um, but particularly about um, rugby. So we got talking, um, it was a game between France and Georgia, and uh, Tommy seemed to know a bit about everything. So we just chatted our way through the game, um, and afterwards we went for a uh, meal at a, a very nice uh, harbourside restaurant. Um, and, um, and as we arrived, there were a whole bunch of dignitaries waiting for us, basically, and, and Tommy was whisked away to, to the top table. And as a, a journalist who does restaurant views, I'm sort of used to um, sort of preferential treatment. So this sort of <laughs> irked me quite a lot. I said, who is this man and what does he do? I can imagine. Um, so I was quickly um, filled in, um, got Tommy's uh, an outline of his, his life story, uh, which seemed like a, a, an amazing life. And um, Tommy went on um, and left, and I didn't get another chance to, to, to talk to him. But the next year when D-Day uh, came around, or the anniversary of D-Day came around, um, I thought, I know exactly who I want to go and speak to. So I rang up Tommy uh, and said, can I come and see you and we'll, uh, we'll have a chat about the old times. And, um, and Tommy said, yeah, that's, that's great, come on up. Um, so I, about six months later, I went up to, to Newton Moore to go and meet him. And, uh, and um, as we got talking uh, and started uh, interviewing him, eventually um, Tommy wanted some detail on, on the sort of specific questions I was asking mm -hmm. um, and went over to his chest of drawers and started rootling around, uh, papers flying everywhere <laughs> and, um, and uh, a whole load of books and, um, and uh, notes and um, photos mm -hmm. came out which were absolutely I mean, fascinating for, a, um, for somebody who's doing an interview, it's a, a, absolute gold. So, uh, and as I was le leaving, um, Tommy's wife, Lady Jean, said uh, to me to one side and said, I think this will make a lovely book. What do you think? So, um, and that really is the, the sort of genesis of, uh, of, of where we are today. So how, I mean, there must be quite an art to, if you like, writing somebody's autobiography, as it were, with them as part, part of the team. I mean, were there areas you were particularly interested in doing? How did you, you needed to capture Sir Tommy's voice in, <coughs> in print? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, uh, obviously Tommy had, uh, had collated a vast amount of information over, over the years. Um, there were, I think there were about 10 photo books for a start. Um, there were uh, press cuttings from, from his sporting days. Um, and, and, a lot, uh, and a lot of the things that he, he's done have, um, although he hadn't, 
himself written about them before. They were they were so well known, mm -hmm. uh, or bits of it were that um, that there were lots of, of, of secondary sources. Um, so um, so so there was there was just a welter of I mean an incredible amount of information to to, to go through. And in many ways, the uh, the problem was. Um, I mean, uh, as journalists, lots of uh, lots of my colleagues uh, have um, have ghostwritten autobiographies or worked on biographies, uh, and the problem is normally that there's one central thing that your life is built around, um, one central event, and everything else is mm. is leading towards that or, or coming from it. Whereas Tommy's life had thirty or forty different strands, mm. uh, and there were, I mean, you can just you can tell that from the number of medals that he, he won. I mean, he obviously got. Um, you know, three MCs, uh, quite a guy, Legion d'honneur. But there were, there were also some uh, incredibly interesting um, things after the war in terms of his sporting career, in terms of his business career. So, um, so yeah, the, the 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 problem was sort of condensing it all. But in terms of Tommy's voice, I mean, he, he's uh, uh, as anybody who's who's known him as a very distinctive man, and and mm -hmm. um, and there are also already lots of uh, of notes there. So. Uh, I mean, hopefully, um, I think we've kept the essence of, um, of, of Thomas. So, as Lydia Bracknell said, it was a life crammed with incident, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was, but in many ways. I mean, I think um, um, it's not some of the stuff that, that was very, very interesting that uh, I didn't necessarily expect to be as interesting as it was were, were the sort of snapshots of, of life. Um, that were outside of, of of the war. I mean, the, the war is a, a fantastic, and um, and uh, they made for a sort of um, a ripping yarn. But lots of the other sort of social things around um, Tommy's life were, were I found particularly interesting. Um, you know, for instance, his early years in um, in Edinburgh. Uh, I live in Edinburgh, and all the places. Uh, I suppose it's like reading an Ian Rankin novel. One of the reasons you, you enjoy it is because all of the places are places that you go to or you've drunk in, and all of um, Tommy's, um, uh, you know, the, the places that he was talking about were places that I know sort of intimately and know really, really well. And in, in some cases, you know, you even know the, the people who are living in the houses that he's talking about. So, so it, it was fascinating, and, it, and there were lots of little sort of snatches of a sort of bygone uh, Edinburgh, whether it's things like the Dame Schools or things like the trams. Well, we all know about trams. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, so, so there were there were just endless little snatches of um, of of really interesting sort of mm. social um, um, social history, basically. And um, yeah, I, I found that that particularly fascinating in in the early times. So, um, so. That really got me off to, to, to a good start when, when we were doing the book. So, no, Stobby's background, his, his father was part of, was a judge in India, was yeah. he not? So, Stobby's parents were away a lot. In fact, I think Stobby spent his early years in India, and there's an incident involving a cobra and an ayah. So that might have given the, sort of, the young Tommy <laughs> a kind of, a, a, a sort of taste of adventure and excitement and combat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, dodging serious injury yet again. Quite. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a theme throughout the whole throughout his life. So, if Hitler hadn't come along, what do you think? How do you think Sir Tommy's life was going to? I mean, he was a young man when war broke out. He hadn't quite decided. Or he was just about to go off to university. Mm. I think that the war interrupted that. What do you think might have happened if, if the war hadn't taken place? What were his ambitions? Well, I mean, I think the interesting thing is that the um, um, the war, obviously, but I, mean, I think someone was 25 by the time the war finished, mm. um, and so so the war doesn't actually dominate his whole life. He still goes on to have uh, an incredibly interesting life, whether it's it's playing sport, whether it's going to to university. He still does all those sort of things. So I think you can see how um, his life. Um, 
developed. I mean, I think what changes is uh, the environment in which he's, he's doing those things. So when he goes to university, it's a university that is full of ex-soldiers, full of mm -hmm. people who, who have a, a very different outlook on the life. So, I mean, I think Tommy's life changes because the war happened, um, not because, I mean, I think it's essentially still, probably still the same life, I think, that you would have had anyway. Um, but it, 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 it's changed because, you know, because the, the circumstances have right. changed. But he enlisted quite early. I mean, he enlisted, as I recall, before war actually was declared. <coughs> yes. So he obviously felt, did he see what was coming? I suppose a lot of people did. And was wanting to prepare for it, wanted to be a, a sort of in a pole position when the <coughs> war was declared. Well, I mean, I think what, what's, um, what's really interesting from, from talking to Tommy is that you get a sense of uh, a narrative and, and how people were actually gearing up for war. Um, we still have this image, I think, that, that in 1939, in September, the, you know, the, the Germans marched into Poland, or, um, and that obviously you've got Chamberlain, and, and then you know, in, in no time at all, the Germans marching into Poland, and that you know, that, that is really what you know, that it's a sort of concertinaed uh, mm. timescale. But it's it's not. You know, people, uh, as Tommy said, you know, people were sitting in his uh, common room, talking about this two years before, and and everybody could see it was coming. Um, so I don't think it's um, it's a question of uh, I mean, Tommy, like everybody else, realised it was coming and, and was, was keen to play his part. Mm -hmm. And what, what one forgets just how young his generation was, as it were, the, the, those boys virtually joining up uh, yeah. to prepare for, for combat. Now, we'll go ahead <coughs> slightly Excuse to, me. and sadly, that uh, Sir Tommy's adventures were cut short by being captured in Libya. Um, and he <coughs> went off as a prisoner of war. Now, when you were a prisoner of war, were you expected just to start to plan your escape immediately, like they did in sort of British films of the 50s, people scraping away with spoons and things, tunnelling out <coughs> of various prison camps. Were you, was it kind of a part of the game that the British prisoners of war should try and escape? Or was it not done to kind of sit and read novels and write letters <laughs> and think about philosophy? Well, I mean, I think that, that, that obviously depends on, on who you are and your mindset, but I mean, it's actually a... a um, so it's a statutory duty on, on every soldier to try and escape if mm. you're if you're captured. So um, so yeah, and uh, I don't think Tommy actually needed any uh, rules and regulations to to make him um, want to escape. That's that's that was just his mindset. What he liked to eat. Because there's some fantastic <coughs> adventurous <laughs> moments, aren't there? Because he he tried to escape uh, three times. Yeah. Third time lucky, a sort of Bruce Spider time nearly. Um, two two. Adventures had ended in recapture, but then he finally did make it third time. Tell us about the places he was held. And the first one was like a kind of Italian colditz, as far as I could make out, a castle on a crag yeah. overlooking the I mean, countryside. It was, it, it, it's a, a remarkable um, fortress castle that, that, that basically nobody's ever escaped from. Um, it is, uh, talking to Tommy, it's very, very cold, very, very wet, uh, rather unpleasant. Um, and it to make matters worse, it looks out over some of the best vineyards in, in Europe. Uh, you'll probably see if you go to, uh, next time you're in Sainsbury's, that there's a, um, a wine from Garvey, uh, and it's generally very good. And that's, that's, that was what Tommy could look out on every day. Mm. So, um, so Garvey, I think, was sort of a, <coughs> um, a, um, uh, a fortress that everybody tried to get out of, but, but, but nobody could, and it was only really when Tommy got moved. Um, to um, the Polish-German border that he was able to, to, to get away. I mean, and the first time, obviously, is a, quite a comic um, uh, episode where he is um, 
uh, tries to get away and he zigzags over, over the moors as he puts it like sort of walked up grouse. Uh, and the, the, all the Germans sort of taking pot shots at him from the, uh, from, from the railway that he's just escaped from. But, um, but, but what you see from that passage in particular, I mean, that, that, you know, that, that all of the officers were, were just trying to get away, um, who were all held together. Um, and, and Tommy was, was, was leading them. I mean, it's, it's almost as if they're, sort of going, they're walking down country lanes <coughs> and cross fields as if they're out for a Sunday afternoon stroll a lot of the time. And they're kind of dependent. It's all very... Uh, I mean, there are some sort of people who will help them, often uh, sort of from uh, people being occupied yeah. by the Germans. So they have a certain, there's a certain network. But a lot of it seems to be quite kind of random and <laughs> accidental that you, you're fortunate that you're not is captured or you are captured or somebody doesn't turn yeah. up or somebody does or somebody notices something. And yet, so Tommy kind of breezes through it all. It's certainly in the, in the kind of the telling of the story, but there's some <laughs> wonderful uh, insouciance, really. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, um, the getting out was sometimes the easy bit. Mm. I mean, the, obviously, Tommy um, escaped three times, twice in, in uh, Libya, um, and got caught both times there. Uh, and then, obviously, got caught again in um, walking through the middle of a village we just happened to uh, arrive at uh, throwing out time for uh, a whole load of um, Germans and Italian yes, uh, soldiers. Very unfortunate, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and and yeah, as you say, the sort of random nature of it is is the thing that really sort of strikes home. You know, that there'll be some people who get away because they they find a, a, a friendly farmer who will who'll take them in. Uh, particularly towards the end, when um, you know the Italians have changed sides. Uh, I think that was a. But you know, if you're in, and and obviously Poland is occupied as well. But if you're if you take a, 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 a wrong turn, and uh, as, as Tommy did, obviously with, with that, and he did with the uh, Italians in um, in Libya, when he ran into a um, patrol of people on pushbikes, having just blown up a, a telephone exchange, um, then yeah, that, that was it. So it was completely random in many ways, yeah. and and because of that, you couldn't speak to anybody. I mean, it's a long, long way to go from. Uh, Turin all the way up to, to, to Danzig. I think that's about, I think we worked it out about 500 miles. Well, quite. And that's sort of walking across mm. occupied territory. Um, and apart from anything else, just to know where you're going is, it, it, I think, was the, uh, um, the, the most, one of the most difficult things. Yes, quite. Anyway, fortunately, he did escape and he got back to, to Blighty. Uh, rather than sitting back, kind of uh, reflecting on his experiences, he was plunged right back into action again, yeah. wasn't he? Into occupied France. Tell us about that. Yeah, Churchill had um, uh, had asked um, Admiral Keyes to um, to put together the commandos, uh, uh, and in his words, to set Europe ablaze. Uh, and the idea was to take the fight to the to the Germans. Um, and part of uh, of that, as the um, as the D-Day approached, part of that was um, three-man units called the Jedbras, um, and they would be a uh, radio operator. Um, an officer and um, somebody, um, usually somebody with, with language skills from another country. Um, and they were dropped in behind the enemy lines and the idea was that they would, um, not that just that they would actually cause a lot of trouble, which is what Tommy was particularly good at, but that they would be seen to cause a lot of trouble, mm. um, to, um, to, to boost morale and to, um, to, to get the, the, the native population in the terms of, in, 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 in France, uh, involved. I mean, it, one of the things that I found amazing from the book was you, you have this, um, uh, history is always, always written by the, the, the victors, and you have this sort of view that the whole of France was full of people who were 
blowing things up. Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 to be honest, it just wasn't true. I mean, there's very there's relatively little. Um, uh, as somebody said, when he when he arrived in France, it, it was a pretty defunct um, little group of of, um, uh, of saboteurs who who weren't sabotaging very much at, at all. Uh, and most of the um, the, the Maki were mainly French um, teenagers and young men who were hiding out in the in the woods and in the bush, uh, so they weren't conscripted and sent to, to Germany as forced labour. So actually, you get this sort of sense now at this remove, we, we get a sense that throughout the whole war there was. A, a, the, you know that the, the French resistance were, was um, was blowing up things uh, and was very active and and it, in a way that it probably wasn't really um, and it was only really I think with, um, um, with with the obvious turning of the tide in North Africa and with the conscription of all of the French young men uh, and um, the the the, the uh, French population turned in many ways and um, and Tom, the idea of dropping people like Tommy in was to blow up some stuff so that people could see. There is stuff being blown up all over the place, and and so a lot of the stuff Tommy did was 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 very was, I suppose now we would call it showboating. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in particular, there's one um, uh, uh, in Decazeville. Uh, Tommy went into um, into the small village and had a as as the German garrison left. It's another hour before the next garrison came in, so he went in wearing his kilt and uh, in a staff car flying. Union Jack and, and Penance, and sat and had a glass of wine with the with the mayor, uh, and then blew up all of the oil tanks and, and, and got it and got it uh, got it a little bit wrong because as they were you know as they were sitting there having a nice glass of wine around the corner came a uh, uh, half dozen half tracks full of Germans. Um, so, but the the idea uh, again you know for the Jebras was was just to be really uh, very very obvious to make. Uh, as much nuisance as possible. So, uh, in particular, Tommy would, would blow up uh, bridges and um, um, pylons. Now, I mean, of course, one of the things that that did as well. I mean, it, it signaled that they were there, but it also annoyed all the locals. I mean, there are a lot of people. You get. I mean, I think even in a sort of three or four years, five years, you get very, very used. I think to to um, to the, your way of life and your state of life. And I think people didn't like the fact that the Germans were taking retribution, obviously, against civilians. Uh, and against people who might be have been helping, and uh, so I think you know that that was the sort of flip side, but it was a necessary evil, I think. Yes, because I was slightly taken aback reading the book that uh, you said that Sir Tommy uh, strode the fields of France in his kilt. And I thought, well, for a, for a secret <laughs> agent, wasn't it a bit of a giveaway? No. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't even the Germans kind of put two and two together and say, "Mein Gott, was ist die Schottländer?" You know, but this was part of you if you showed. That you didn't care. Yeah. It was bad. It was good for your morale and bad for the Germans' morale because that was the idea. That yeah. You, you had this devil may care attitude that uh, you were confident the Germans could do nothing as yeah. you uh, strode about. Uh, and the Germans were a, a little bit uh, confused at times. Yes. And there was uh, uh, one stage there was a, uh, a reward of 300,000 francs out on, on Tommy's head and. Uh, uh, and it was for the uh, arrest of the so-called Scottish Major. <laughs> <laughs> now, the kind of what was happening in the war, of course, was that D-Day was fast approaching, and Tommy's job was to do as much damage to any possible German reinforcements, yeah. which were being rushed up from the uh, 
the south of France. So is that when you know one of the most extraordinary events takes place when he sort of single-handedly takes thousands of German prisoners. Tell us about that incident. Yeah, there, there was um, a, a large column coming up from the south of France, heading up um, from the border area up to Normandy. Mm. Um, and it contained elements of the Das Reich, which is a, um, a tank column, um, a tank regiment, and the uh, second motorized SS battalion. Um, who were veterans of the Eastern Front. And I mean, obviously, it's incredibly important that they were, uh, for the Germans, they got up to Normandy to, um, to try and break, break the beachhead. Um, and, um, you know, obviously, as they worked their way up, I mean, a lot of those were, were, were really good veterans from the, um, from, the, um, uh, from the Eastern Front. So they were a fearsome fighting unit. And really nothing much stood between them and Normandy. But, you know, the... It was vital that they were stopped. So, what happened was partisans and resistance fighters would just nip at them, um, and there were there were some uh, truly incredible um, instances where uh, where partisan, I mean, resistance fighters who knew they were going to die, uh, nevertheless took on the um, took on the the the, the right. And um, the the one that's that's best known um, and rightly so is the Battle of Bretigny Bridge, where. Um, the villages of Bretigny, or the men uh, from Bretigny, with the sort of hunting rifles and, and anything they could get at their, uh, at their disposal, um, kept the uh, Reich uh, at bay for I think it was four hours, um, which was was a huge amount of time. It was half a day, and this is a huge 30-mile column basically the, uh, of of people that's moving quite slowly. So to be able to hold them up for that long was was, was remarkable. And of the 29. Um, uh, uh, villagers who, who fought that day, I think 26 died. Um, so, so it, it was it was incredibly important that this um, this column was either slowed down or stopped, and um, and it drew in fighters from all over the place. But you know, the French resistance fighters were uh, people who are used to um, blowing stuff up and have been taught um, guerrilla warfare, and they weren't really used to fighting um, a this sort of this sort of motorized column and in fact you know they're specifically trained not never ever to, to, to fight this sort of column because when they did it was uh, it was always a disaster um, and they they would always never invariably end up being being killed but nevertheless it was so important that, that that's what they did um, and Tommy obviously um, you know uh, after Bretigny, he, he, he left Bretigny and, uh, and, uh, and did everything they could. So they, they would cut down trees, they would booby trap trees, mm -hmm. anything just to slow them down. And, and all of the time, this is sort of uh, against the background of the Germans getting sort of more and more angry, basically, uh, shooting everybody um, at a village called Toul. They, uh, they hung uh, half of the village from, from lampposts. Um, uh, so it, it was really quite, quite vicious. Um, uh, but eventually, this war of attrition just just worked. I mean, the the um, the American Air Force was was strafing the, this huge column, uh, and eventually um, word came through that that um, that uh, they would consider surrendering. Um, and so Tommy got into a Land Rover. Um, Got to remember, Owen, in the sort of in the fog of war, the the, um, the sort of normal command structures don't always work mm, properly, right. and you've got a a long column that's that's I say you know miles long um, that's been blown up by uh, American bombers, uh, American fighters, and you know there there are lots of people in there who basically didn't know that um, if Tommy came sauntering along, uh, dressed in his best Sunday kilt, then uh, <laughs> he, was, uh, he was probably going to get shot. So. Um, uh, Tommy had a, um, um, a captured German uh, Red Cross Land Rover 
um, with a um, one French um, officer, and off they set, and they, they head through the middle through the middle of um, of uh, miles of, of, of German troops uh, to to try and get to the the, the headquarters of uh, General Elster uh, in Port uh, Pont d'Arquet. Um, and uh, after having been shot at quite a lot, eventually got there and and, and took the um, the surrender of twenty three thousand mm -hmm. German troops, and that that, that was a massive. Um, that was, uh, it's difficult to overstate how important that was mm. in preserving the, um, the, the Normandy bridgehead. Um, I mean, the, the, the famous war historian Foote said that it was, uh, it was like taking the, the, the head off the cobra. Um, I mean, this was a, an incredible fighting unit. And, uh, you know, and the, the action of, uh, of all these resistance fighters uh, just eventually just ground it to a halt. And was Sir Toby doing this entirely on, on his own initiative? Or was he was he under orders to do this? No, uh, Tommy got a, a, a he was um, got a phone call from uh, another um, British officer who rang him via London. He was sitting having a glass of wine, waiting waiting to see what was what, and uh, and all of a sudden I think he was called Major Cox, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, and this, this sort of um, I say, oh boy, you find uh, arresting thirty thousand Germans. That, that, that was that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> Jolly good. <laughs> that was it. And, and obviously, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredible feat. Um, mm. So, Tommy arrived to this But what's fascinating, of course, is that Sir Tommy had a price on his head offered by the Germans, but he also managed to get a price on his head by Tito and the partisans. So, both sides of the conflict, as it were, at one yeah. stage or another, <laughs> wanted to uh, get rid of Sir Tommy. Tell us about the next stage of his walker, which took him to northern Italy. Yeah, uh, Tommy's dropped into the north, yeah, northeastern um, corner of, uh, of Italy, um, where uh, he carried on doing what he'd been doing for the last year, which is blowing up things, uh, mainly uh, railways, uh, bridges, and um, and uh, all the electricity um, pylons that he could, could find, which is quite a lot of electricity pylons. Um, apparently, they like fireworks when they go off. Um, but um, the idea was um, just a, a, again to do um, to do uh, exactly the same thing, slow the Germans down. And the Germans were by this stage. I mean, the the I mean, half of Italy had already been liberated, mm -hmm. and and the course of the war was 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 quite obvious. Um, but you know, what Tommy didn't realise was that um, coming to Italy, that there was um, a political um, context he had absolutely no idea a, a, at all of. So he arrived to, um, to the middle of Italy uh, to find out that actually possibly his, his biggest foes weren't the Germans, but the, um, the communist partisans. And basically the, the, the um, resistance fighters were, were split into two groups. There were the Osopo who, who um, were, were uh, non-communists and the Garibaldi um, legions who, who were uh, communists. Uh, and you're, you're right up next to Slovenia and they're being supplied by, um, by uh, Tito and, and the communists in, in Yugoslavia. Uh, and, and actually, they're not really fighting the, uh, the Garibaldi, um, by not necessarily fighting the Germans or the Italians. They're, they're fighting the Asopo, the, um, the non-communist um, uh, uh, fighters, because they can see the end of the war coming. And they can see that, um, what, that as soon as the war finishes, there'll be a mad scramble, there'll be a power vacuum, there'll be a mad scramble for power. Um, and the whole context really is that, um, that um, the, Tito wants to annex the whole of uh, northeastern Italy. Um, so the whole area in Udine, Venice, Trieste, all of those areas. Um, and um, so that's what he's preparing for all the time. So, uh, and Tommy realizes this and um, becomes the target. There, there's one stage where um, the, um, uh, he's carried out a, 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 um, um, a bombing and a 
can't remember what they've blown up, but they came they came back and um, and some um, some of the Garibaldis had written in the snow because they were living in the in a cave up in the mountains, and the Garibaldis had written a sopo with a big arrow, <laughs> trying to tell the German planes where where to find them. So um, so again, just genuinely fascinating sort of little um, um, period of, of of Tommy's life that that is something that. I wouldn't really have known that much about, but it was it was I mean it was fascinating to find out. And obviously, um, Tommy's actions at the end of the war were one of the reasons that um, that um, I think it's fair to say without it's not hyperbole to say that hyperbole to say that um, that that what he did helped save uh, keep that large chunk of Italy as as part of Italy rather mm. than seceding to to Slovenia. Because that was certainly what the partisans, the um, the Garibaldi partisans, had in in mind. Yes. Yeah, so you found yourself as a, a soldier trying to be a politician as well, and trying to be a diplomat as well, in the as you say, in the sort of post-war scramble for territory that was going to take place. It was all part of that that same uh, what was happening. Everything was up for grabs almost in a way. The only thing Tommy was very diplomatic, were you, Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean the um, yeah is exactly I and mean, uh, Tommy's um, um, thought process. I mean obviously intelligence played a, a, mm. a large part, um, and um, you know there there were but there are a couple of comic um, uh, instances where Tommy's up uh, in the in the mountains and uh, three villages at one stage tried seceding to the crown. They wanted to become a British colony <laughs> <laughs> to save them from the Slovene, Slovenes. But but yeah, but as as the war draws to an end. Um, um, Tommy, uh, the Bishop of Udine, the, the one of the things that the um, the communists were going to do was seize all of the, the senior churchmen mm. and hold them hostage against uh, um, against the uh, just just in order to to, to, to to force the secession of uh, of the northeastern corner of uh, of Italy. Uh, and Tommy, the reason he's uh, was given a papal knighthood is because he uh, he whisked away the Bishop of Udine and the Bishop of Trieste. Is that that's right, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. It was a, so that, that that little bit of a, a sort of war within a war is is was absolutely fascinating. I mean, how? Because men of Tommy's generation, I've just found in talking to other people of my age whose fathers saw service during the Second World War, all say the same that their men and indeed women are very reluctant most of the time to talk about their experiences. Did you find you had to draw out were the air the no go areas that you perhaps had to persuade? To Tommy to talk about, or was it was the information free and flowing? No, um, pr pretty much. Once once we started, uh, uh, everything was 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 there for discussion. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I mean, I think um, inevitably uh, it's a different generation. So um, you know, Tommy to express himself in a in a different way to to uh, to Edward. I mean, we um, we don't really at any stage get into sort of motivations. It was just you had to do it, and mm -hmm. and, and that's what you did. And I think that's. Um, and that, that comes across it particularly in a couple of um, in a couple of uh, places that um, where we probably uh, as um, certainly my generation would have slightly different sensibilities and you know one for instance was um, at the uh, end of the Italian com campaign in the Pontevo Pass there were a, a lot of um, Russian and uh, I think Finnish soldiers and Poles um, who, who were left behind mm. by the Germans and um, and they were handed back to, to, to the Russians and, and to us that um, you know that might seem, uh, and and it did to count um, the uh, it was Lord Aldington who, yes, who handed it back, and it was quite famous. It was a very very famous, and Tommy was actually there, and uh, obviously, uh, um, and um, to us that that seems quite harsh, but 
you know, I think to a different generation who've been uh, generation who've been through the war, that, that it, it's a far it has to be a far more black and white um, perspective. And the perspective is, you know, this is a war you have um, uh, you you betrayed your country by fighting for somebody else, mm -hmm. and you're gonna you, you get what you deserve. And I think it, it's um, you know, and and throughout the the, the narrative that that comes out, and I, and I think um, and that those attitudes have to be there. There was a. Uh, a, a brutal affair. I mean, as a young shaver yourself, uh, Richard, did you, by doing this, did you look afresh at your country's history about the way society has changed since it produced men like Sir Tommy? I mean, what did you, could you kind of reassess your own feelings? Um, I felt rather glad that I wasn't in a war, uh, mainly, but, um, but yeah, of course, I mean, I, th I think you inevitably, um, you, uh, you look at, it's an inevitable thing that you wonder what you would have done if you had been in that same position, and you wonder whether your attitudes would be would be the same. But you know that that is um, you know that's that's why we that's why I like writing that's why I really enjoyed writing this book uh, with Tommy, and uh, and that's why um, people uh, hopefully people enjoy writing it, uh, reading it because you get to understand uh, a different generation. That that's what mm. we all. Anyway, peace came at last, and Sir Tommy yeah. was able to take up his position, I think it was at Oxford, mm -hmm. to read PP. Naturally, he got a first, and then went to, <laughs> to be a very successful businessman. Yeah. Uh, tell us about those years in business, because I suppose after a war that he had, one might fear that the rest of his life might be a bit of an anticlimax, but far from it. No, um, I mean... Um, I mean, there, obviously, there, were, there, I mean, there, was a, there was a lot more to, to, to Tommy's post-war life than... Um, than, um, than than just his career. I mean, his career is fantastically interesting. Sort of uh, timber is, in many ways, is um, something is an empire career. Mm. I mean, it takes you to Nigeria, takes you all over all over the world. And, and from that point of view, it's very interesting. Um, and I mean, it was also you know fantastically interesting because it allowed him to carry on and do, um, uh, for instance, to to to, to uh, do some spying work for for the government in. In Norway and, and Nigeria in particular, but uh, I mean, I have to say that the um, being quite a sort of uh, sports fan, the, one of the uh, things that I found particularly interesting was uh, uh, and having um, my initial sort of meeting with, with uh, Stommy being over a, a game of rugby and and, uh, and talking endlessly about the, of the game. That that was one of the, the the really interesting things as well. The, the way his and his career was uh, as a sportsman was, was fantastic. And, and actually, you say that um, you wonder how his life would have developed if it hadn't been for the war. And that's the one thing that, that might, mm. may have been different because obviously at 25, coming back from from having been stuck up in um, in um, uh, 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 the Italian um, mountains and uh, the Alps and uh, uh, and not having that that that's the one thing that might have been different. And uh, I mean, obviously, Tommy. Uh, you, uh, people really don't know, but Tommy's uh, oldest um, brother was uh, probably the best rugby player that's ever played for Scotland. Um, and I think Tommy says the only regret he has in his life is that uh, he didn't play for Scotland at, uh, at rugby. Um, but but some of the, some of the um, some of the other things were amazing. I mean, he, he ran against uh, um, Roger Bannister and that beat him. Um, ran against Sidney Woodson and Emil Zatopek, and these are all even now these are probably names that mean a lot to to, to, to a lot of people. So um, so I found it, it, as as, as ever, you know, there, there were so many strands of, uh, of Tommy's life that were just fantastically interesting. Mm. And a great gift for friendship as well, it seems to me, that uh, yep. Yep. long-lasting uh, relations well, built up over the years at uh, Sir Tommy. Yeah, well, as, as I said, I mean, you know, having um, met Sir Tommy at a, in a sort of social context in the, in the first place, the, the thing that was very obvious was his, um, was his enormous charm. 
um, and um, and just a number of people who um, who've who've spoken to me about him since then uh, sort of just confirms that. That, that impression, that initial impression. So being dandled on Eric Liddell's knee obviously had some <laughs> sort of bearing on his sporting career later on, would you say, perhaps? Uh, who knows? I'm not, sure, knows? I'm not sure whether you can sort of, uh, whether you can absorb well, uh, possibly speed, but if, you, if you can. That. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Richard. Let's have a look and see how we're doing for time. Well, I think we've got plenty of time for some questions. So if the lights could go up, lovely. And there's a young lady standing by, examining her microphone. There we are. So who's going to be the first to ask a question? We're all struck dumb, surely. Ah, here we are. Yes, hand up over here. Have either you or Tommy been able to talk to any of the Germans at the receiving end? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the, the inevitably, um, in the research, there, there were... Um, vast numbers uh, of, um, uh, of documents and some of them were, were from Germans and some of them were debriefs of Germans and, uh, and, and um, the two other members of the Jebra unit, the um, Arthur Brown who's the, um, um, the radio operator um, and um, Christophe de Beaumont uh, who was the, um, the, uh, the, the, the Frenchman who, who fought alongside Tommy for, and was, was one of his best friends for, for well, still is. Um, that both of those have written books as well. So uh, it was really interesting to get their, their perspective. And those are, those are quite recent books as well that have come out in the last two or three years. So it was really interesting to get their perspective on, uh, on, um, on, on the, the war years. Yes, gentlemen, there. Keep your hand up, sir. I suppose remarkable men have remarkable parents. Any comments on Tommy, Sir Tommy's parents? L largely absent. Your, your father is in India for a lot of your youth, wasn't he? Um, so I mean I think uh, uh, that that's that's um, not going for for cod psychoanalysis, but uh, Tommy's fa father was obviously in India with his mother for large periods, uh, and Tommy was was put into um, boarding school here, and uh, and obviously had suffered a, a serious illness as a as a child that uh, osteomyelitis that myelitis that that meant that he spent large periods of of time in a, a hospital bed, uh, unable to move, unable to to, to do anything, and I think. Uh, rather than, um, when obviously, you know, the family environment forged uh, uh, um, some of that character. But I think a lot of the, um, a lot of the sort of, uh, sort of self-reliance and, and toughness that, that you see actually comes from, from that. that Thank you. Yes, a hand up here. And then you, sir. Hello, sir. I would just like to ask you, uh, all your medals, how were they achieved? Your three MCs and other awards? Um, the the 3MCC, um, the first was achieved at the um, Battle of Litani River, in, um, which is, um, uh, again, it's one of those, um, well, the first was achieved there, the second was achieved in, in, in France for capturing the 23,000 Germans, and the third was, it, was in Italy for, um, uh, for the work in, in stopping the, the northeast seceding. But the, uh, the Litani River, for, for anybody who hasn't read the book and doesn't know about it, is a fascinating uh, little um, episode in, in uh, in the war, and uh, the Latani River is is in um, is in Lebanon, just below what is now Lebanon, just below um, Beirut. Um, and at the time, obviously, Lebanon was um, belonged to the Vichy French. Um, but absolutely um, crucial area of the world because it, it's obviously where all the oil comes from. Um, and the um, British thought that the um, well, 
had good reason to, to, to think that the, the Vichy French were helping the Germans and that they may get access to um, the, uh, the oil in the area. And obviously that area, that, that specific area, the coastal area is very strategic. So um, Tommy and um, the commandos all, all went in and, there were, uh, and that's where he won his, his, uh, his first MC. Um, he, he obviously won the Croix de Guerre as well and the, um, and the Légion d'Honneur and, uh, and the Papal Knighthood for, for, um, as they, for his work in, in preserving um, papal emissaries. <laughs> now, gentleman here. Did I hear you right when you said Jedburgh units? Sorry? Jedburgh units. Jedburgh. Sorry? Jedburgh. J-E-D-B-U-R-G-H. As in the, yes, as as in in the border in town. In which case, what's the connection <coughs> it, between it, that and the town? It, it's there any connection? No. None. It's no. It, was a complete, it was a completely random choice of name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're not from Jedburgh, are you, sir? No. <laughs> uh, any other questions? Over here. No, not from... Tell us about... Sir Tommy takes great pride in his Macpherson heritage. Tell us about how important that is to the man and how it still is reflected today. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, um, the Macphersons are from... Um, <coughs> um, a large part of the, the family are, uh, are from um, Strathspey and, uh, and Badenoch area. Um, and, I mean, in fact, the, the Macpherson uh, Museum is in uh, Newton Moor, mm -hmm. which is um, where Tommy's family are from and where he, has, uh, where he now lives. So I, I think it's been very important. Mm. Now, going back to the war, I get the feeling, I don't know, Sue, I'm wrong, that uh, Sir Tommy bore no kind of personal animus against the Germans, that it was, the war was, you know, the war, a certain job had to be done, and, and he did it. But I don't feel that there's any kind of personal uh, dislike or hatred of it because obviously he's worked in Europe, a lot in European yeah. associations since yeah. the war. I mean, is it fair to say, is that a fair comment? Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, uh, the, um, the Germans were, who were in, in the army, that, that's one thing. I mean, uh, in fact, Tommy um, speaks about it several times in, the, in his book. Um, the people that he really has sort of unlimited, um, not hate, hatred's too strong a word, but the, the people who, who he doesn't really like are, are obviously collaborators and people mm -hmm. who, um, who are turncoats, and those are the those are the people who who um, who, who are deserving of uh, of, um, uh, of something, whether it's hatred or, or but um, but yeah, but 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 in terms of the op the opposition, yeah, I mean mm. that's, that that uh, that a lot of those Germans would have been fighters just the same as us. But I mean, I think um, uh, read having having spoken to Tommy about uh, about this, yeah, of course you, you have to. Yeah, so you have to decide, you have to, to 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 hate them, but it's not. It's a different sort of hate to the hate that you have for uh, for somebody who's conniving their way into into your company or into your um, uh, with the, with the express intention mm. of killing you. Because there were, I mean, you didn't really know who to trust, did you? Often, that no. Uh, and and there are there are there are instances of that. Some uh, some terrible ones throughout the war, and um, particularly in Italy, um, there is um, there was a young. Um, Explosive expert who was um, <coughs> betrayed by, um, by by somebody within the in the unit, and um, the Germans picked him up and carry, uh, and marched him off at, at gunpoint with his um, with his um, girlfriend to the to the explosives cache, and they were they were clearly going to have to show the Germans where the explosives cache were uh, was, and then they would be shot. Um, so. Um, this young guy, Bertie, I think his name was, uh, he, um, uh, it, it was booby-trapped um, for this eventuality and he blew himself and his, his girlfriend up. And, um, and I think, uh, and there were, there were 
lots of instances of, of great cruelty from um, for, to, towards countrymen. There, there, there was another one where um, lots of uh, a group of Tommy's um, uh, Sopo colleagues um, who had been working with for, for a long time and who he was very close to uh, were, were tortured and then killed um, in order to try and um, for the Garibaldi, who were the, the, the other Italian partisans, to, to try and find out where he was. Mm. Um, and that they wouldn't tell, um, Tommy's colleagues wouldn't tell the, the, the communists where he was, so uh, they were then tortured and, and killed. So, so I, mean, I think those are, those are the sort of, um, the, those are, are the people that, 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 that Tommy has real. So li life is very, you know, very cheap, very expendable. It's, uh, relationships are conditional, it's all, Everything, nothing is in concrete. It seems I mean, you, you can't rely on anything very much other than your own wits to survive. Yeah, it's a very yeah, hostile no, environment. Yeah, well, of, of course, and I mean, uh, and I think uh, um, you know, obviously at different times, um, and it's an environment where you have to keep moving as well. I mean, the thing that is uh, is, is very interesting is that if you stay in, in, in one place for too long, it, it becomes. Um, you, you'll get caught, and mm. I mean that almost happened to, to Tommy at one stage. They they woke up, woke up, but they they suddenly found themselves surrounded by a, a German. Uh, well, they thought it was a German patrol. They actually, I think they were Poles, weren't they? Who caught, caught you up in the um, in the mountains, um, and um, yeah. Uh, so at, at any moment you could you could be caught and had to move all the time. So has no enterprising film producer snapped up the film rights to Tommy's story <laughs> because it sort of it cries out for cinematic treatment, surely, I mean, you can I see... I would have thought so. Ewan McGregor or somebody playing <laughs> Any film producers in the house? Well, because it's such an exciting story and you've told it with such verve and uh, drama. So I think I, I look forward to seeing it on my local Odeon. So make sure you're there. Anyway, some final questions, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, the hand up at the back there. Here's the microphone. Let's keep your hand up, sir. Thank you. Did, does Sir Tommy have any comment on how he and his colleagues adapted from fighting the French and indeed being decorated for it and then going into France to support the French? Uh, yeah, again, this is something we, 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 we talked about. I mean, the, the, there was a, a very um, straightforward delineation between those, between the good French and the bad French. Uh, you know, obviously there were, there were people who uh, fought against um, fought against the the Allies, but but actually there were relatively few in number. I mean the the, the thing about the um, about the uh, I said earlier, and the thing about the the, the bulk of the of the French population were, were very inert and were very passive, uh, and and in many ways the um, the French actually suffered quite terribly um, at, at times. I mean the a lot I think it was something like twenty percent of their their young men were sent off to to Germany as slave labourers. So. Um, so I think you know there was a, there was a general um, uh, consensus around Europe after the war that that that, um, that um, should let bygones be bygones as far as possible, and and, and certainly for, for a lot of the a lot of the French suffered as as, as badly as uh, as the British who were fighting on their behalf. I think. Now, so another hand up in here. Yes, I'd like to pass along the mic. Thank you. Did the qualities of the sportsman contribute to the soldier? Yes, actually, in in. I mean, I suppose in, in some ways that are probably difficult to define, but actually in some ways, specifically they did. I mean, Tommy was uh, brought up in Newton Moore, and um, one of the things that he, um, he loved to do was go trekking up, up the hills. And I mean, um, and, and the whole family was sort of well, disgustingly healthy, actually. 
<laughs> long, long walks at the drop of a hat. And, and actually, when, when war came, uh, and obviously Tommy was very, very young as well, so, I mean, he was fantastically fit. And at, at times, that, that did make a, a big difference, um, you know, particularly when he was in the commandos early on in, in the Latani River um, campaign. But, you know, when he was training for, for the Jebras, um, you know, obviously they were up at Spear Bridge doing commando training, and, and, and that was, was actually quite important, yeah, in those, particularly in the early, early years when, when people were just getting used to, to, to the idea of fighting and just getting fit. Thank you. Any other? Yes, hand up here. Sorry, it's the other side of the room. But keep your hand up, please, sir. Uh, from all the um, war heroes you've ever studied, what makes uh, Sir Tommy so different from the rest of them? All the heroes. Blimey. Um, <laughs> saying luck. <laughs> no. Um, I. I mean, I think um, that's well, a difficult question. Um, I, I, I mean, I think all of the um, the, the the war heroes that that, um, that I've studied all, all have all have several things in common. Luck is 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 one of them. I mean, I think it's it's really it's actually more a question of what they've got in common rather than what sort of separates them. I mean, if you look at um, that again in the in, in the Battle of uh, Latani River, um, Tommy fought with a guy called Blair Maine. He was second in command of the um, SAS, uh, and it, it is is um, it is fantastically um, famous fighter. And he is um, and, and a friend of Tommy's as well. And, and you know, he, he's a good example of uh, of what is um, why these guys have succeeded. Apart from luck, which is obviously a, a, a prerequisite, uh, as, as we've said, but um, ability to lead and ability to think on, on the feet. On their feet, and and actually, um, and an ability to be quite aggressive when when um, when needs be, and, and maybe that's where the, the sportsman comes from, because Blair Main was a, was obviously a, uh, was a famous rugby player as well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think rather than say what why is he different, uh, I, I think the much more interesting question is in what way was he the same? Thank you. Any other final questions? Yes, hand up at the sorry other end. <laughs> Good exercise for you. Would the, um, would the, uh, did Sir Tommy regard the Italians with um, more or less distaste than the French, given that they, 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 they switched sides halfway through? I mean, did he feel more or less hostile towards them? Uh, did Tommy feel more or less hostile towards uh, the Italians? Italians? No, as I say, I mean, I think it's the same uh, uh, as with the, um, with the French. I mean, the Italians were. Um, obviously changed sides, but you know, Tommy was spending a lot of time with, I mean, he was working with Italians, um, you can remember throughout, throughout this whole period, and, and particularly at the end of the war, um, uh, was spending a lot of time with, with, um, with a couple of uh, Italians in particular, still very close friends. I um, mean, his godson is um, uh, the, the, the son of uh, one, one of his uh, um, co-fighters. And so, I, I mean, I think it's very, you, you you're not going to just write off a whole nation when you're fighting alongside them. They're putting you up at a great personal risk. Um, so no, I don't think so. Anyway, this is where I'll have to declare a ceasefire, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. Otherwise, we could be here for another six years, I think, discussing all the various exciting incidents and what's an absolutely ripping yarn behind enemy lines. Now, at this point, I normally say there will be signing next door in the signing area. There will indeed be of that ilk with, with Richard, but 
get, when you get your copy, you can get it specially stamped, a special Sir Tommy McPherson stamp. So Sir Tommy and Richard will be next door in the signing area, or the stamping area, for this particular incident. And you go out that door, and you turn right, and you turn right again, and you'll be able to catch up or ask any questions of Richard and Sir Tommy. It's been a very, very special session. I'm sure you'll agree. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Sir Tommy McPherson and Richard Barth. Thank you very much indeed. More podcasts, videos, and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.